Hey, good morning, everyone. I'm John Duke, your host of Leadership Breakfast. Why Leadership Breakfast? Because breakfast has been called the most important meal of the day, and I want this podcast to be the fuel to, to feed your leadership motor for the week and get you energized and get you started. And today, I am really energized to share more leadership lessons from our U.S. military with our guest today, Ryan McCool. Ryan is currently a business leader at Johnson & Johnson. But importantly, he's also a former first lieutenant in the U.S. Marine Corps, where he spent four years serving our country, which included being deployed to Afghanistan in 2012. He was an aviation logistics officer, and I'm honored to have him with us today. Ryan, thank you for joining, and thank you for your service to the country. Yeah, great to be with you, John. Yeah, but I'm excited today because he's going to share a few of the leadership lessons that made a significant impact on him as he developed his leadership mindset, his skills and abilities in the U.S. Marine Corps. And I want to get right into it and have you share some of your leadership lessons from the Marine Corps. But before I start, I wanted to just highlight the title of a book by Simon Sinek, and he's an expert leadership consultant. And if you haven't read some of his books, they're fantastic. But he has one that's entitled leaders eat last. And what he states from it is that great leaders create environments in which people naturally work together to do remarkable things. But in his work with organizations around the world, Simon noticed that some teams trust each other so deeply they would literally put their lives on the line for each other, much like the military. But other teams, no matter what incentives are offered, they're doomed to have infighting, fragmentation, and failure. And he, and he questioned why. And the answer became clear during a conversation he had with a Marine Corps general. And the statement that he heard is the title of the book, Officers Eat Last. Well, actually, a, a slight difference of the book. Instead of leaders eat last, it was officers eat last. And that inspired Cynic because he watched... Most of the junior Marines eat first while the senior Marines took their place at the back of the line. And it was symbolic that he saw that great leaders sacrificed their own comfort, even their own survival, for the good of those in their care. And I just found it uh, a connection because, Ryan, when you and I first started talking about the most valuable lessons that you had from the military, one of the lines that you shared was that it is all about the team and that leaders eat last. So I wanted to kick it off with that because I think when people generally think of the military, they think of an authoritative organization where if you have the rank, you just shout orders at people and they do it. Um, but I think, I hope our listeners are going to learn that when it comes to leadership, even in the military, there's a whole lot more to it to drive followership to drive respect, to drive trust. And I'm excited for our for my listeners to to hear your insights. So why don't you kick things off with with a, a little bit of an of an overview of your uh, leadership in the Marine Corps? Sure. Yeah, and again, it's great to be with you, John. We work together um, briefly, but it's, I hope you're enjoying your retirement, and I, I love what you're doing uh, in your retirement. I think this is extremely valuable. And 
I want to preface this by saying, unlike Simon Sinek, who I, I really respect his work, I've never written a book before. Um, I'm a normal guy. I, I've had a unique experience of, of being a military officer and then transitioning into the corporate world. And I'm excited to share some of those lessons today. And I hope if there's maybe one or two that, that people can take away from this to become better leaders, I'd be very thankful for that. Uh, but I'm certainly not the end-all be-all when it comes to leadership. And as we were beginning our conversation, the first thing that struck me was the leadership training that goes into a Marine Corps officer. I can't speak for the other services, but in the Marine Corps, the process of becoming a, a commissioned officer is a 10-week screening process called Officer Candidate School, where you go to Quantico, and it's not a let's see how many officers we can graduate. It's let's screen them in these 10 weeks. It's a 10-week interview, um, physically, mentally, leadership to see if they have what it takes to become leaders uh, in, in the Marine Corps and lead Marines. And unlike uh, enlisted boot camp, officers after the third week, officer candidates can actually drop on request and say, hey, I don't want to be here. Because the mentality is, if I don't want to be at officer candidate school, then I have no business leading Marines out in the field if I don't want to be there. Um, so it's a, it's a grueling process where they do really cut down on the number of officers. If you graduate, then you go to another six months of what's called the basic school, where every Marine officer newly commissioned from pilots to lawyers, infantry, intelligence, logistics, regardless of your military specialty, you spend six months learning leadership, and specifically infantry platoon commander tactics um, to, to be prepared, to every Marine a rifleman, every Marine officer, an infantry platoon commander. Six months. So we're already between the 10 weeks and six months. We're at uh, about eight and a half months. And following the basic school, you have a military occupational specialty school, whether, again, you're a pilot, lawyer, logistician, infantry, where you might spend another four months. So before you ever step in front of a, uh, a Marine platoon or, or any Marines in general, you're going to have almost a year, if not more, of leadership training. Now, I understand that that's just not possible in the corporate world. You can't send a financial analyst to uh, Quantico for six months and put him or her through the ringer. But it was a stark difference uh, coming into the corporate world. Uh, it's, it's impressive when you think about it. I know our listeners probably think of schools like the U.S. Naval Academy and West Point, and those are really right leadership training uh, academies. But I don't think they would have known how much goes into, as you said, when you enlist or you graduate from a four-year college, how much pure leadership training there is. And you juxtapose that to a st statistics I, I saw where I think it was from careerbuilders.com, like 50% or more of people in the workforce that are in a management, a people leadership position have had no training on how to do it because they were probably good at the existing job and had results doing that. And then the organization they're with said, oh, you're good at this. We need you to lead five or ten people who do the same thing. But I think you, you really shed light on those are two very different skills, doing the job and actually leading people to do the job and, and actually guiding a team to success or uh, a successful mission. Right. And there are differences in that, hey, the Marines are training an officer to potentially lead Marines into combat. 
That's extremely important. Mm-hmm. Their, their life is on the line. When you go to the corporate world, obviously it's not that. But at the same time, managers in the corporate world are writing reports and uh, determining your compensation, determining how far you can go in the company. So when you have that type of responsibility, you have a responsibility to, to spend the time and to develop as a leader because you're literally determining the outcome of people's finances, their lives, uh, and their career path. Well said. Yeah, John, when I think about the, the first lesson in leadership, it is just that. It's it's officers eat last. So I remember being a young 21-year-old, I went to uh, Quantico on my 21st birthday, actually, as, as a uh, wow. my first day of officer candidate school. Yeah, it was a good way to celebrate. I celebrated it later, don't worry. <laughs> um, but when I was down there as a young 21-year-old, I remember one of the first days we were doing the obstacle course, and it's grueling. It's hot down there in Quantico. It's humid. And I remember trying to get over an obstacle and, and you know, I'm a big tough guy and I'm grunting as I, as I go over the obstacle and a, a sergeant instructor came over. He was a gunnery sergeant. I'll never forget him. And uh, I'm not going to scream the way he, sc- he screamed at me, but he basically came over and told me, what the heck are you yelling about? You know, you're, you're making a grunt to, to do what? To show that you're tough, to show that you can overcome the obstacle. Guess what? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Marines. So you better get over this attitude of I'm going to show myself and you better learn that it's, it's all about the Marines. And the concept of officers eat last for me started right there. Hey, it's not about me anymore. I'm going to be an officer. It's about the Marines. So Simon Sinek talks about it in his book, but I'll never forget, again, the first time in a training environment when we were in the field doing a field exercise in the woods of Quantico again, and the hot chow came out, and I watched literally as, you know, there might have been 300 Marines out there. They all lined up in rank order with the lieutenant colonel all the way at the last, at, at the end of the line, I think that there was a PFC out there who was the first one to eat. And it was like a holy cow moment. I, I think I got goosebumps at the time, like, wow, this is, this is real. You know, we, we, we've talked about this in, in training, but now I've seen it where literally we're showing that as officers, we're putting the comfort and the well-being of our Marines over that of ourselves. And it's it's sh- such an important lesson that we, we learn there. And it continues throughout the Marine Corps symbolically in that it's not about my comfort as an officer. It's about the comfort and the, the well-being of my Marines. Um, so when you think about things like giving difficult feedback, and this can translate very well to the, the corporate world, hey... It doesn't make me feel good as Ryan to, you know, I, I like this guy. I have to give tough feedback. You know what? Maybe I'll just skip that and tell him he's doing fine. No, it's not about me. It's not about how I feel. It's about the development of that person. And I have to give that tough feedback. I owe it to them regardless of how uncomfortable it makes me. Um, pushing back on a superior. Hey, my superior wants my Marines to do extra work. You know what? I don't feel like having that difficult conversation. I want to impress my superior I'll just have them do it. No, you need to be uncomfortable and push back. Um, awards, this this very well translates to the corporate world. How many? It's not about how many awards you receive once you become an officer. How many awards did you write? Um, so that's something in any, in any job where there's an award system. At the end of the year, if you're a manager of people, are you listing how many awards you received? Or how about listing how many awards you've written? And to me, that's a better uh, mark of a leader. 
Um, so it, it can go in, in many different directions, but that's been ingrained in me in the military, and I've, I've hoped to carry that to the corporate world. I was so glad to hear you um, expand a little bit on the comfort part, right? Because I think when you hear that word, comfort, you know, or, or give to your team and make sure they have everything they need, it doesn't mean that you're going to be, uh, to use a common term, soft on them, or it doesn't mean that that's what you're going to do. Um, it literally make them comfortable. You're going to have to make them uncomfortable. And I love that you said you owe it to them because I think in the business world, in the commercial business world, giving tough feedback is one of the hardest things. We get uncomfortable and no one, no one enjoys doing it, but I always felt like like you did in terms of sharing that word, um, I owe it to them, right? It, you feel like you're letting the person down if you're not giving them the information they need that's truth, that's real, for them to get better and get to a level that they're trying to get to. That's essentially what a coach does, right? A coach helps you get to a level that you can't get on your own, and I think leaders do that too. So I was I was glad to hear you say that. Yeah, there's a word that we we use in the Marine Corps all the time called comfort based decisions, uh, where you might instead of staying up late to study or, or train, you know, you wanted to get your eight hours of sleep. You made a comfort based decision there, or it's cold outside and you might have to put someone on watch. But you know what? It's it's too cold. I'm not going to stand on watch. I'm going to you know curl up in my sleeping bag and uh, let someone else do it. Comfort based decision. So I try to think about that at at in the corporate world in where are those comfort based decisions? And a lot of times it does come down to the difficult feedback. Hey, it's Friday morning. I'm I'm talking to one of my direct reports and I got this really tough feedback to give. But you know what? I'm almost to the weekend. I don't I don't feel like doing. It. I'll I'll do it another time. No, that's a comfort-based decision to make me feel better so that I don't have to worry going into the weekend as opposed to, to giving that feedback. And uh, you hit the nail on the head, John. Yeah, I've heard Nick Saban, the college coach at Alabama, one of, the, I think, pretty much the winningest college uh, football yep. coach out there. And then Bear he, Bryant. Yeah, he always talks about discipline as really doing the right thing that you need to do to help the team achieve the mission at the right time, right? And I think you were alluding to that, that there's a, there's a critical time and sometimes it can be the most difficult and instilling that through your operational processes, which he's a fanatic about processes really helps make sure that the whole team thinks like that is thinking that this is, I've got to do the right thing right now at this moment to help the team achieve the mission. Exactly. Do your job as he he often says him and Belichick. Yeah. Yep. Him and Belichick. Yeah. And Belichick was, I just saw something on one of the NFL networks or whatever. Belichick, they said was, and this, this, I think this applies to the military is uh, the, he always followed the principles of uh, Sun Tzu, the art of war. And his belief was yep. that the, the battle is already won or predominantly won before it's actually fought. So he was a big believer in the preparation leading up to the to the contest was probably going to dictate the outcome of the contest. Yeah, you know, it pains me as a Philadelphia Eagles fan to give Bill Belichick credit on anything, but uh, yeah, his father was a, a coach at the Naval Academy, I believe, and that that's kind of how he grew up on the sidelines at the Naval Academy. So a lot of what he practices does have a, a military background to it. Yes, 100%. All right, let's share another lesson. 
Sure. Yeah. And, and I think another the, kind of those defining moments, the first one was when I, I sat there and watched 300 Marines line up by rank. Um, another one was, so after all this training, I had been through probably about a year of, of training in in the Marine Corps, you go and report to your first duty station. Mine happened to be Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, really tough duty station. You know, it's located in the, the tough city of San Diego, a couple miles from the beach. You know, I was a, a 22-year-old, 23-year-old at that time, and it, it was a great duty station. But this is the first time you're actually going to, as an officer, get to meet your Marines who you'll be leading whether it be in, in garrison in, in the uh, CONUS or overseas, this is the first time. Um, so obviously it's a, it's a nervous moment and it's an important moment in a, a young military officer's career. So I had driven across the country from Quantico, Virginia to San Diego. Um, you know, I, I check into a hotel and the very next day I had to put on my uh, service uniform and meet my commanding officer first and then meet the, the Marines. So I'm, you know, I look like I'm 22 years old. I look like I'm 15 at that time. Uh, I weighed about 140 pounds soaking wet. And I've got that one national defense ribbon on my, my uniform, which basically shows that I haven't been anywhere yet. And I, I do the proper reporting procedure to my commanding officer, Lieutenant McCool, reporting as ordered. And um, he was a, a, a lieutenant colonel at the time. And he said, sit down. Yes, sir. What's your name? Lieutenant McCool, sir. He's like, no crap. I can read your, your name and uh, your, your rank. What's your first name? Ryan. Um, and he said, Ryan, what are you doing for Thanksgiving? His first question to me. And this it was like November 20th, probably a week before Thanksgiving. And it was like, you know, I just drove across the country. I haven't even found a place to live, let alone think about my Thanksgiving plans. Uh, so I said, sir, I don't have any plans. And he said, you're coming to my house. Okay, I didn't know if that was an order or what, but um, that was his first concern was what was I doing for Thanksgiving? Now, as, as folks who know me know, I have weird food allergies. I'm actually allergic to turkey. So I said, God, how, how awkward does this get? This this commanding officer is so nice to invite me over to his house for Thanksgiving, um, and I can't eat turkey. I was like, I got to tell him now. So I said, sir, I just want to let you know. I, I'm allergic to turkey, just uh, to, to put that out there. Without hesitation, he said, I'll cook you a steak. No problem. Um, so, you know, we ended up connecting, and I actually did go over to his house for, for Thanksgiving dinner. I had a great time, met his kids, met his family, watched some football, ate a steak that he cooked me, um, stayed, stayed for a couple hours. And I think back to that moment, and in the first 10 minutes of meeting this guy, I'd follow him anywhere. And I, I, I always ask myself, how do I be that leader? What, what did he do? I didn't know how good he was at physical fitness, how, how good of a shot he was on the rifle, um, how good of an aviation logistician he was. But immediately in those 10 minutes, I wanted to follow this guy. And the conclusion I've come to is because in a vulnerable moment for me, in a nervous moment for me, this guy cared about me. He, he cared what I was doing for Thanksgiving, he, and he it wasn't just talk. He called me up and invited me and gave me his address, and we, we spent the time. Um, now, in the corporate world, obviously, you can't invite everybody over for Thanksgiving. When you have new employees, you can certainly welcome them the same way he welcomed me when I was new to the unit. When you have ex employees who are not new and you're coming in as a new uh, manager, 
How do you find that moment? What is it going to be that's going to show them that you care about them? And a lot of times it's built over time. Um, but that's my, my philosophy is that's easy. You know, I'm not a rocket scientist. I'm, I, I'm not a genius by any means. But it doesn't take a, a doctorate degree to care about people. And anybody can do it. And uh, a lot of times, that's the the making of a good leader. Yeah, I, that story is fantastic, and it obviously left such an impression on you by the way he acted and approached getting to know you, and the fact that you were able to spend time with him and get to know him in a in a different atmosphere. Um, and I think it gets to this idea that you know to to want to follow people, people have to know that you care about them. And many times that bond is formed through nothing to do with business necessarily. Now, sometimes it is, right? It's a People fondly remember projects, teams, or initiatives that are really tough. And you persevere and you get through and it, and it solidifies that bond. But I, I love that story because it is about the idea of the concept of uh, not necessarily the old school thinking of tough love, Right, like be really brutal on someone, but more first show them that you care, and then it you've earned the right to push them more and help them get to a place that they're trying to get to, and I, and I, I just I love that story, and it's not something you would think of uh, from the military. I, like I said, we all have those images of a drill sergeant screaming orders in someone's right. face, right? But, and and that part of it you can probably attest to basic training, all that stuff. That is really important, right? To be tough on people sure, and build sure. that foundation of discipline so that you know you can count on, you know, the 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 person next to you. But then leadership and building leadership so that you can achieve the mission and achieve remarkable things, that those are different skills and different mindsets and and, and different bonds that you want to invest in. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. He was tough, John. Uh, and I, I know your podcast has a wide range of listeners. So if he's listening, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Thompson, and many Marines know him. He was tough. I've seen him in, in so many situations be tough on me, be tough on Marines. Um, but, you know, that moment of caring, being able to do both, show compassion and be tough, I've tried to take that with me throughout my entire career. I'm very grateful for it. You know, and the part I love about that is, you have to have the courage as a leader to know that you're being tough on someone and the short-term gratification from that, it, you're not going to get from the person right away, right? You're, you're acknowledging it now, and maybe you acknowledged it in some other past conversations. But the point is, as a leader, you have to have the courage to say, I don't know when I'll get acknowledged for this being the right thing to do, but I just know that it is. I have to be tough on this person at this moment. And then I always say to my kids, it might take a year, it might take five years, and somebody is going to come back and say, thank you for doing that for me, that you had the courage to do it for exactly. me. But you don't get the short-term gratification from it, and that's the thing you got to have courage for as a leader. Exactly. Exactly right. And the last lesson I, you know, I'll share today, and I have – many of them, but I just wanted to share a couple. And one that I think is, again, most relatable, translated from the military to the civilian world is about meaning and purpose. And there's a couple old fables that uh, tell this story, but the one that I like to use is there's two people out there chiseling stones and and building a, a castle in ancient times. And the one person's chiseling the stone, they're upset. They're not happy. They're sitting there with the chisel, chiseling the stone. 
the leader walks over and says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm chiseling a stone. The next guy is doing the same exact task, but he has a smile on his face as he's chiseling the stone. And the leader asks this person, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a castle. And it's that classic example of knowing the purpose and tying the purpose to your work. For me in the military, another unique situation um, in the field of aviation and logistics, which I think is really cool, a lot of young men and women didn't watch that commercial on television of the Marine fighting the dragon and uh, climbing the, the obstacles and jumping out of a plane and say, you know what, I want to do aviation logistics. Uh, you know, it's just that 70% of the Marine Corps is a supporting function and that 30% are, are the folks kicking in doors. So as a, as a leader of a non-infantry unit in the Marine Corps, it was all about tying them back to the overall mission. Hey, you're not fixing an aircraft, you're fighting a war both in the U.S. and even when we deployed to a combat zone, continuously reinforcing that they're fighting a war, they're fighting a war and, and getting them over their initial task. You know, in, in the U.S., sometimes we'd go and run the obstacle course or get them to the rifle range so they can practice those Marine skills and tie that purpose. In the corporate world, you know, I, I've worked in the consumer products industry. You can get very tied down and, and in supply chain specifically into, okay, I'm working on this ERP system and I'm planning a bunch of numbers in an Excel sheet. I don't know what it means. Hey, I had a, a leader one time take us all out to CVS and look at our products on the shelf. How are they displayed? Is there anything we can do better? Can we change the packaging? Um, why do they display our products in certain areas? What are the competitors doing? And really that constant tying that individual task to the mission, again, something that you know Saban and Belichick do as well, as I'm not planning an Excel sheet. I'm not working in SAP. I'm going to be there for that mother or father at two in the morning when their um, child needs a medication. I'm going to ensure that medication is there, and that's what I'm doing. Think about how much more powerful that is. And it's not easy. Uh, I'm a, a you know culprit of it myself, where some days you're sitting, especially when you're working from home, in front of a computer for eight hours, and you forget what the heck you're doing it for. It's up to the leader. It's their responsibility to continue to tie that individual task and that individual's role to the overall mission again and again and again and lead it to a happier workforce. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think people underestimate um, the, the importance of constantly connecting to the purpose of what you're doing and also the why. Um, two, two stories, like I, I teach a, uh, a one-day seminar on power of positive leadership and John Gordon always talks about that. Even someone... He references an inner city bus driver who felt like, sure, he wasn't just driving a bus, but he was literally a vehicle to make sure that kids were off the streets and that they were getting to school and that they were getting an education. And that that's really powerful. And then I heard PJ Flack, who's the head coach at the University of Minnesota football, uh, talk about the importance with this generation of student athletes or workers, right? That if you're not giving the why, this is why you know, uh, uh, hard work and conditioning is going to be one of our core values because we, we, for us to win the mission and be successful, we have to be in better shape in the fourth quarter of a contest to pull it out. That is something we can control. Sometimes you can't control the talent, the size, the height of your players, 
but you can control effort and you can control um, physical conditioning and that can be the edge that you need. And so therefore, you don't want to just say, we're going to do a bunch of running for the last quarter of practice. You just, because I said so, you want to talk about the effect it's going to have on our ability to achieve our mission and our goals and objectives. So I love hearing you talk about that. And that hits on something we spoke about earlier, is that anytime it is that, run these laps because I said so, or get this report done because I'm your manager and I said so, or do this because I'm a lieutenant and I have these shiny bars and I said so. You failed as a leader anytime you've got to use that tactic because you you haven't truly motivated anyone. Um, you know, in fact, you've done the opposite. You've probably demotivated them. How do you inspire people to do things rather than tell them to do things? And if you can master that, uh, you'll be in good shape. Well said. All right, we're in the. Uh, I always uh, leadership breakfast like to give some take home points or a big take home point. And uh, I'd love to have you kind of wrap on a, on a key take home point to uh, this episode of leadership breakfast and leadership lessons from the military. Yeah. You know, I was hoping this was like a three hour breakfast and me and you can talk uh, football and uh, leadership for, for longer, but I understand that leadership breakfast is bite size. So if I had one thing to take away and it's been a constant in my professional career, and I see a lot of leadership trainings that are inward focused. Hey, fill out this survey about you and your strengths. And how do you feel in these situations? For me, when you become a leader, the key is it's not about you. It's about your people. So it, it's not about how you feel, what your personality traits are, Myers-Briggs. When you become a leader, don't focus on yourself. You know, when you write a social media post and you, you think about tooting your own horn and saying how great you are, maybe think about writing it for someone else. So if there's one thing that I want folks to take away from this podcast, if you want to be a leader, if you are a leader in a leadership position, it's not about you. It's about the people you're leading, and that'll go a long way. That's a perfect way to, to end this. If you want more of leadership uh, advice and, and insights, you can follow uh, and, and for, uh, well, actually follow, right, and connect on LinkedIn with Ryan. He does post a lot on leadership, and it's R-Y-A-N, McCool, M, small C, capital C-O-O-L. And Ryan, this was fantastic. I could go longer. I could go like an all-you-can-eat all buffet of leadership breakfast. But uh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the stories that you shared and the insights. And I know that it'll help developing leaders, coaches, and teachers who listen to this and people who want to get better at their leadership. And thank you for your service to the country. Yeah, thanks, John. And, and please don't hesitate, anyone listening to this, to reach out, message me. Um, say, Ryan, I think that what you said was totally wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I'll have those conversations. If you're looking for advice, feel free to message me because like John, um, we both have a passion for leadership and I'm always happy to talk about it. So thanks, John, for having me again. Yep. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope this gave you some fuel for the week. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. 